you are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. So, uh, if you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to open them to First Timothy, or I'm sorry, Second Timothy, not First, Second Timothy. Um, for the next few weeks, we're going to spend some time uh, looking into uh, this book. We're actually going to work through the whole book. It's going to take about seven seven weeks or so to get through it. I'm kind of excited about it because it's answering the question or asking and answering the question of, well, what does discipleship look like? Okay. And uh, what's really kind of neat about this is I'll kick it off today and then we'll have the verdicts coming in and they'll be sharing next week. But then after that, our preaching team uh, will pretty much take the rest of it. And that's a great voice, I guess, for this church to be hearing all these different men speak about discipleship from the scripture of of 2 Timothy, which I just had here in my Bible closed by itself. Back there. Uh, so I hope you will uh, tune into that and uh, look forward to what's what's coming down the pipe with this. So let me start off with a with a question. Okay, um, who was your favorite teacher? And it doesn't necessarily have to be somebody in the classroom uh, type of teacher. Like for example, one of my favorite teachers was my first assistant chief on the fire department. Uh, I liked him because he made learning challenging. When I was learning how to do the air masks. Uh, and rescues, they would they would put gray paper over our air mask because you can't see anything in a fire anyway. It just fogs up and smoke and everything. So we'd have to go in blind. And while I was doing my search uh, through our bay, crawling underneath fire trucks with the air tank and all that sort of thing, he snuck up behind me and he turned off my air. And all of a sudden my mask just went against my face. No, no air coming in, no air coming out. I don't know about you, but that, that makes me panic. <laughs> Uh, but he was doing that because sometimes that happens. You can't count on, you know, your, your regulator could get damaged or something like that, and you had to know how to act. So uh, even though that was kind of a dirty trick, he's always been one of my favorite teachers because that was a really good lesson to learn in a controlled environment so that I know what to do when, when things are out of control. So uh, who would like to share a, a favorite teacher? Yes, David. Uh, my third grade teacher, Mrs. McKeever. I remember... Before I got to third grade, I, I'd seen her like in the hallway, and she seemed kind of scary. But then when I actually had her as a teacher, like, you know, one moment she might snap at me because I was, you know, uh, making a scene or whatever, but other times, like, she showed that she cared. Like, she went to, uh, I think, Florida for our spring break, and so when we came back, our first day of class, everybody came to their desk, and there was a personalized postcard that she'd written to that student. And then, our last day of school, she served us pizza and orange soda, and then it, I remember walking out of the room, and as each of us walked out of the room, she would kiss us on the cheek, and that stood out to me. Oh. Wow, you can't do that anymore. <laughs> but that's pretty cool. She made it, you know, she made teaching and learning very personable kind of thing. Okay, anybody else? Mary? My father um, was an alcoholic, but he, um, every Sunday, and I know this sounds like a weird example of somebody that's a good teacher, but he wanted God to know that he really wanted to get away from that. And every time that there was a Billy Graham, anything on that TV, my father bowed down and prayed that final prayer 
every single time. Wow. And we made sure I went to church. So, you know, it might have not have been the proper way to show his faith, but it meant a lot to me because it showed me that he cared enough to go to church. Yeah. That's pretty awesome, really. Really. So, okay. Or you see your hand? Um, I had a nurse, her name was Carleen, and she was old school nurse. And um, most all of my training has been from nurses, but she was amazing. She was kind and gentle, and she she taught me how to write scripts the old school way, you know, how they used to do it now and things like that. But she was an amazing woman. And then um, when my mom died, um, because it was really coincidental. The doctor who took care of my mom while she was in the hospital happened to be the doctor that I used to work for. So uh, Carlene found out about it. And after my mom, mom died and we were walking out, I looked up and she was there. So I met a lot to She was an amazing woman. Okay. All right. Cool. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. We had a neighbor across the street for um, many years. She just taught me about it. Yeah, I learned that playing with my grandma, you know, because they do crosswords all the time. Yeah, yeah, it's like a boot camp for Scrabble games or something. All right, uh, Mary. Um, yeah, my high school drama teacher was someone that from the first day of class we walked in, and he had this um, drawing of like the hearts and this weird disease, the heart disease listed and all the different parts of the heart. And he was like, welcome to biology, blah, blah, blah. And we were like, what wrong classroom are we in? And it was just a trick that he played his first day of teaching at that school and our first day of class with him where we were actually a drama class, but he tricked us all. Um, but he just, for, for the entirety of my high school career, he was really someone who pulled out um, the talents that he saw in me and, and really encouraged those and he bought me my first set of drawing pencils so I could do set design and he helped me draft all of my college applications and essays and got me the scholarships that I did get um, to go to university out of state. Um, and then just someone that I've been friends with now even as an adult and, and years ago when I was in a really dark place and, and a really bad relationship, he paid for my plane ticket to just get out and get back to Rapid City. And, um, I haven't seen him in a decade, but my brother and I are still close friends with him because of how much he told me to our lives in the who was that? Seabrest. Yeah. You know Bill Lytle. I know Bill, yeah. yeah but he's a great guy, too. Yeah. Okay, cool. What a, man. Some good teachers out there. Uh, uh, my youth wrestling coach, uh, he was just really good at what he does, what he did. He drilled the basics into our heads, and like ways he would do this is like we'd be running laps, and he would quiz us on like the fundamentals of wrestling. Um, or like, when he would show moves, he wouldn't just like grab two guys and be like, all right, do a double leg takedown, and he'd be like, all right, that's what it looks like, go do it. Like he would really, like, he would grab those two guys and he'd say, do a leg, double leg takedown, and then he would pause, and he would like break every single step up. And uh, other ways that he was really great is uh, like right before like the end of the year in the state, he would have us all lay down in the resting room and he'd turn off the lights and he'd say, close your eyes and we'd have, he would have us visualize winning and 
just like the moods and emotions that all that would go into and just the big one of success. Yeah. All right, cool. All right, I'm going to turn tables now because uh, I know Kat's a teacher. Um, and even though maybe you haven't stood in a classroom, in a formal classroom sort of setting or, or that, you might have had a situation where you were teaching somebody. Uh, who was your favorite student? Yeah. I know as teachers we're not supposed to have those, uh, but uh, we do. So, you may remember somebody you, you, were, you were training or teaching or something like that, and you're just like, I just, yeah. I had, so I wasn't technically a teacher, but I used to do this, I uh, used to be a camp counselor at a thing called Camp Invention, which was a day camp for kids who are kind of in that elementary age, kind of like third grade to sixth grade, and it was all about inventing and, and brainstorming and creating inventions and things. And so I remember there's these two kids, and there were two young young boys, they might have been, I think, fifth grade, and there was nothing special about them, but... No, let me, let me But they behaved, they genuinely tried at everything that they did, and they had fun. And to me, that just made them my favorite students. Okay. And they would make inventions, and they wouldn't work, but they just were trying, and the other kids weren't trying, and they were just throwing, like, computers around and shit. And like... <laughs> it was very inter- interesting, but... The fact that they just tried and were like behaving and were there and purposeful is it's good things. So. Cool. All right. Yeah, Susie. Oh goodness. Okay, so I have been tutoring with classical conversations for four years, and Kyle has been one of my students. News to me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's actually one of my favorite students because he brings a lot to the class. And uh, challenges me, and I wouldn't be doing it if it weren't for him. So cool. I enjoy his presence in my class a lot. I do, honey. <laughs> <laughs> she just can't show it to you when it's happening. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> okay. All right. Yes, sir. Uh, I took a mission trip to Albania this last year, and when, when I was in Albania, um, there's a there's a kid that had a lot of questions about like. Um, the evidence for the gospel and stuff, and the only way he would let me explain anything was if we were playing basketball. So, so like he wouldn't talk to me any, any day until we started playing basketball, and we had these awesome conversations. And I, I, I he would allow me to teach him like all the bunch of evidence points. I should have Cool, but that's that's a. That's usually what makes a good student is is they make it easy for us to teach them and enjoyable and uh, usually in different ways and things like that. So the reason I ask this question is because um, as we go into Second Timothy, we're going to look at the relationship between a teacher and a student, between Paul and Timothy and, and some other students as well are going to get mentioned in this as well. And I think sometimes when we mention the word discipleship, uh, we get a picture in our head that may not be an accurate picture of really what biblical discipleship is. And it might be even kind of a scary picture. Maybe that's why we don't do it right or, or something. But it really is a relationship between a student and their teacher. Okay, that's, that's what it is. Discipleship always involves a teacher and always involves a learner. And, and maybe if we use different words other than discipleship, because discipleship really, that's to, to, to be a disciple means to be a student, to be a learner. 
Okay, that's what the, uh, the 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 twelve apostles were to Jesus Christ. They were learners, and Jesus was their was their rabbi instructor. So, um, as we look at Paul and Timothy, a little background on this book. Um, and Second Timothy was, we believe, Paul's last letter. It's also probably the most intimate of his epistles, his letters. And I think we sometimes forget that even the Apostle Paul was having really, really, really bad days. Just like every single one of us. Okay? Uh, and, uh, like during the prayer request, I just noticed we're going through some stuff. People are going through some stuff. And, and Matt, you even used the word suffering. I'm glad you weren't afraid to use that word. Uh, and, and we need to remember as Christians that it's in suffering that the gospel speaks the most clearest and, and loudest. Uh, that's really when people are watching us and people are seeing how we're reacting. And that's when we have the chance to uh, embody our faith and embody our love for Jesus when when most people would think, well, why would they do that at, at such a time as this? And so Paul was on his way to be executed. He knew that time was coming. It, you see hints of that throughout the letter. And there's certain things in there. You, you can see that Paul was actually kind of desperate for this student of his, this former student of his, to come to him. Uh, I think it's in chapter 4 where Paul says, please do your best to come before winter. And by the way, bring my heavy cloak because I left so fast that I forgot to bring it and it's cold here. <laughs> so Paul is facing these everyday things along with um, facing a, a death penalty for his faith in Jesus Christ. He was not having a good day. And, and, and i, I got to make sure we set that tone here before we move into this because um, we all have bad days. And even in the midst of our bad days discipleship is happening and maybe that's when it when it best happens so i'm going to just jump right into it we're going to work through the first uh, chapter today real quickly here to kind of set the set the pattern for uh, what's going to follow in the next few weeks so uh, second timothy chapter one uh, beginning with verse one uh, the typical greeting salutation of Paul, where it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promises of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, and, and this is probably the first picture we get about discipleship. And that is, is that the disciple or the student is dearly loved by his mentor. There will be no discipleship happening in the church, in Christianity, if it's somehow separated from this, uh, this deep affection that we're supposed to have for one another in Jesus Christ. Uh, we grow best in an atmosphere of love in tenderness and acceptance. And that's one thing that's made very clear from the very beginning, that that's how Paul looked at Timothy, as a beloved child. It wasn't his his flesh and blood, but he loved Timothy like he was his own son. He loved him deeply and he loved him dearly. And and part of the expression of his love is is what he says next, grace, mercy, and and peace from God in Christ Jesus. And, And he wanted that for his student. So here it is, if if we're involved in discipleship, whatever end it is, and by the way, we should be both students and mentors at the same time. Let me lay out a challenge for you. Look for somebody to learn from, and look for somebody to teach. Every single one of us. 
Because that's the burden that's been placed upon us when Jesus said, go into the world and make disciples. And, and I can't, I, I don't have anybody to, or anything to give to anybody unless I've got somebody giving me something. Alright? So, so, so wherever we're at in this, in this thing, I, I guess I would say this. If you're in the mentor role, then you should wish for your student, uh, a healthy dose of grace, a deeper experience of God's unmerited favor in their life. Because we, we all go through bad days and we can't do it apart from God's grace. Uh, he wanted him to experience mercy, a deeper experience of God's daily goodness uh, extended towards him and peace. He wanted him to have a deeper experience of harmony with God uh, and with others. And, and we all need that, right? Because, you know, even on Sundays we come in sorely needing those three things. Uh, and, and I think it's good to, re- to remember that, that that's because we're broken people. Every single one of us. Uh, Paul was a broken person. Timothy was a broken person. And so as a teacher, that's what he wanted Timothy to experience. Okay. So one of the things I think I learned from looking at this is that biblical discipleship really is informal, but very intentional. Discipleship is not going to Bible college. Okay? Uh, I am not the product of any Bible college or seminary. Haven't attended either. Okay? Uh, but I would still like to go learn Hebrew and Greek so I wouldn't have to learn it secondhand from other people, that kind of thing. I think that's what they're good for. But if we're looking at them as a means for discipleship, then we've missed the boat, we've missed the picture entirely because not everybody's going to go there. Okay, and, and and discipleship and growth in our faith can happen outside of those formal classrooms. Now, please understand, I'm not I'm not against formal training or, or education or that sort of thing. In fact, I would encourage it because it's a little bit of an easier road. The University of Hard Knocks is not a fun way to learn ministry, but it's still one of the ways to do that. And it, and it happened because of discipleship. It happened because of that. Sometimes we think in the church, well, discipleship happens when we schedule more and more and more Bible studies. I'm not against Bible study. But it's not discipleship. It's not done in a formal setting. This isn't even necessarily discipleship as an end. Okay, It's a means within what we're doing here. But but this itself isn't discipleship. Discipleship's happening Monday through Saturday. It should be anyway. And it happens in these informal, but yet deeply relational and intentional uh, settings. It's not programmatic or systematized. And I think if that's the first lesson we can learn as a church, we'll see more discipleship happening because it's all of us at work doing it. Okay. As we move into chapter in, in a ch- verse three through this chapter, Paul then says this: "I thank God whom I serve." as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. That's the teacher to a student. I am praying for you night and day. I remember your tears, and I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is through you, uh, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Now, here's something we, we do know about Timothy is, is he, he had a timid spirit. 
Okay, and and can anybody relate to that? You know, you're not the confrontational sort. You know, you're more of a little bit of the passive kind and that sort of thing. And and that was Timothy. And I think that that a lot of us, you know, that's one of the things that hinders in our faith is is maybe a spirit of timidity or a spirit of Timothy. Might be an easier way to say that. Uh, and and one of the things I like about the Christian Missionary Alliance and Common Ground Church is one of our values. If, if you become a member, this is one of the things, one of the things you learn, that one of the things that, that we state as a value is faith-based risk. That's a tongue twister. Faith-based risk. And, and that's, you know, that's what Eileen's doing. You know, she's, she's stepping out in faith and it's scary. And, and that should be all of our experience that, that we're stepping out and it's, hey, it's a little bit scary. But Paul encourages Timothy as he's addressing him in this. But let me go back to a couple of particulars in here. And, and here's a, another picture of discipleship. The mentor prays for his student, prays intensely for his student or his disciple. Uh, we're also reminded in this passage, as he mentions uh, Eunice and, and Lois in there, uh, Timothy's grandmother and mother, uh, that discipleship takes a team. Okay, well, Sometimes I always got this picture because, you know, it was Jesus and the Twelve and the rest all hanging out with him, that it was the one teacher and, and that. But in reality, when Jesus turned them loose, it was many teachers with many disciples. And that's really what the church is. The church is a process of discipleship. It's a portrait of discipleship. Here's something you may not know, but right here in this body, I have many mentors. And some of them are you and you don't even know it. But that's because I'm watching you and I'm learning from you because I don't have it all together. I'm a hot mess pretty much most of the time. But I will will pick out something in somebody and I'll go, I can learn that from them. They might be hardwired for that, and I'm not, but I can at least see the example of what that looks like. Uh, Ted's not here today, but I, I watch Ted Hayward all the time because here's a guy that knows how to communicate the love of Jesus Christ just through simple acts. And, and I need to be reminded of that that's how that works. That's what that looks like. So Ted doesn't know it, but he's one of my mentors. Okay, And so are a lot of you. I don't have just one mentor. I have many, and it's it's the people that I fellowship on a, on a regular basis. It takes a team to to to, well, to fix me. That's for sure. And and you should do the same thing. You should look around and, and understand the relationship that God has given to us through here uh, through Common Ground is is a is a discipling relationship where we can actually help others to grow in one another's faith. I think another point that we learned in, in this section is that a, the disciple or the student is encouraged to nurture his or her spiritual gifts. Because everybody has them. Okay? Every single believer, I should say, has a spiritual gift. Ah, I'm wrong there. You have many. More than one. And, and you might be sitting there going, well, I've heard that, and I kind of believe that, but I don't have a clue what it is. Well, go do something, and you'll find out real quick what it isn't. Okay? And that's okay. You know, let's go back to that faith-based risk thing. Is it's just stepping out and serving, and, and like you might, well, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go into the fishbowl, and I'm gonna hang out with those those little uh, wet-lipped creatures that that are in there. You know, and I just say that because they slobber a lot. And they don't know how to blow their noses, but. <laughs> 
you'll you'll know probably within five or ten minutes. Uh, this is not my gift. <laughs> okay. So then you know to go look somewhere else and, and to try something else. And then pretty soon you find yourself in this sweet spot that you never believed you'd be doing. Okay, But we're supposed to be doing that. That's, what, that's part of what the, the church's job is. If you go back to Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse 11, it says that God gave gifts to the church, and those gifts that he gave were evangelists, teachers, prophets, shepherds, and, t- and teachers. Did I repeat one in there? There's five different ones in there. All right. He didn't give just like one singular pastor and say, okay, now he goes and does all the ministry and you guys watch him do it until he drops dead. Okay. He, he gave five different offices to the church. And this is really weird to us Americans because we don't follow this model at all. Because you're not going to find a single one of us, it's all five, at the same time. Maybe a couple smashed together. But he gives five to the to, to each body so that they can, if you read the scripture there, verse 11, say... Equip, train and equip the body, disciple the church to do the work of ministry. And that's what we're supposed to be about. We can't do the work of ministry unless we're exercising our gifting. So that's why Paul says, fan it in the flame, Timothy. Get that thing going because you need to do this. And here's why this is so important. You might notice on the, on the bulletin cover that there's this image of a torch being passed. And again, that's what discipleship is. Because in this letter, Paul is leaving. And it's up to Timothy to carry on. So we have this, this, this metaphor here of Paul passing this torch to Timothy. And, and he says, man, you need a fire. And, and Matt prayed for that too. And we went and talked about being rekindled. Uh, that that fire would fan into flame service. An outworking of God's Spirit in each and every one of our lives. Uh, like, like, like he said, well, my gift is just sitting and absorbing God's Word. Well, if that's your only singular gift, you're going to get fat. <laughs> spiritually. And, and, and that's no good. You gotta be limber. You gotta be moving. So we have to go to the gym, so to speak. This is the perfect time to talk about that. Everybody's going to the gym now for at least the next three months or more or less. <laughs> but spiritually, we need to be working that off too because we're not really gifted to absorb God's word. That's just the way it is as a Christian. But we're gifted to work it out. We're gifted to go do something with it. So fan that in the flame and maybe the, the beginning is find out what it is. And then we're reminded that we don't have to be timid about doing this. Uh, don't let it scare you, because the Holy Spirit emboldens us. Now, that's one of the signs that God is really in our life, that suddenly he gives us this crazy, weird idea that, 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 that we can do something like this, that we can step out, that we can maybe even step, like, like Matt has done and, and others have done, to step up into a pulpit and preach the word for the first time they've ever had to do that. Terrifying, right? Still is. <laughs> Still is. But uh, that's, that's God's spirit that, that overcomes our own fears and says, go out and do this. And man, will you have stories to tell when you do that? When you step out in faith and step out in the courage that God's spirit gives. Okay? Got to clip along here. Going to verse uh, 8. So he says, therefore, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor me of his prisoner. <laughs> But share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. See, there's another thing about discipleship is that this was God's plan. He had a purpose and a plan for you before time even began. Isn't that amazing? 
Just think about that. If, if you're one of these people that, man, I just don't feel like I have any significance, there it is right there. God was thinking about you before he even created you. And God had a plan and a purpose in his kingdom for you before the ages even began. And that has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I am appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, and which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard against that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus and by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. And that's a very interesting passage in there. Man, I could go forever just on that one verse about I know whom I believe and I'm convinced that he is able and, and that sort of thing. But, but the first thing that he points out there is that God guards us. God guards what he has entrusted to us. And that's something that you have to remember. This is, this is the first lesson that as a disciple we are guardians of trust. And, and we need to figure out what that is. What has God entrusted to each and every one of us? And know that he's going to guard it, but it's also our responsibility to guard it as well. Paul said he guarded it. Now he's encouraging Timothy. He says you do it as well. So here's the thing that I think everybody needs to know. Here's a little discipleship that's going to happen. I'm going to teach you this. Okay, hopefully you already know this, so maybe I'm just reminding you of this. But Jesus has given each and every believer a stewardship in his kingdom. That means trust. Just go back to this. Remember the rekindled uh, sermon on the sons of blunder? <laughs> And wonder, oh, and thunder, forgot that one too. You know, Jesus trusted John with something. He trusted him with his mom. So take care of her. But he also trusted John with the gospel. He trusted Peter, the denier, with the guy. He trusted a bunch of broken, hot messes like the rest of us with the kingdom. He says, go and make disciples. I'm not going to do it just by myself. He says, I'm going to use you to do it. I'll be with you the whole time. But he says, that's your responsibility. I'm entrusting that to you. That is your stewardship. Every part of us has a place in that. And they don't all look the same. Okay? Some of you, maybe maybe that's going down to the mission and slapping mashed potatoes on a tray. That kind of thing. If that's your vehicle to increase the kingdom of God, then yeah, go for that. But it doesn't mean everybody's got to go do that. Because that would just make the serving line really crowded. Uh, Some of you might be wired to go hang out in bars. Not to drink, but to hang out with the people that do. Because they ain't coming here. We took the church to Jesse. Because that's what the church does. We're supposed to take the church out of this place into this world, everywhere in this world. And if that's what you're wired for, is to love people that that other people aren't loving, then by gosh, go do that. I'm not in theater because I'm, I'm one of those high school drama kids. I didn't hang out with the, with them. They were weird. <laughs> well, they are. <laughs> you know, but but I got involved in this in this community theater because I realized, man, you should see the collection of people that are involved in theater. They are church people. They, they don't know Jesus. A lot of them. How are they going to know unless somebody goes and 
and does this with them and builds relationships with them. See, it's all part of our individual stewardships that we have to go into and to take this, this kingdom of Jesus into this world. Now, another thing I learned in this, in this section of this passage, I was looking at that, and, and that is, is that a mentor is always laying down a pattern. And yes, Paul did talk about sound words, sound teachings that he gave to Timothy. But you know, that only happens so often. But what is supposed to be happening all the time is that we are laying out a pattern of faith and love from Jesus Christ. That when people look at us, they should be able to say, wow, that's what faith looks like. Or wow, that's what it means to love. If we're doing that, we're doing discipleship. Because that's a couple, that's the, the two main things that you and I need more than anything else is to grow in the expression of faith and the realization of it and to grow in the, the giving and the distribution of, of love. So as Paul said there, he says, uh, he says, something's been entrusted to me. I'm going to guard that and God's going to guard that as well. And he says, Timothy, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. And, and I think that, that what, what that includes is opportunities that God has entrusted each and every one of you with opportunities to serve him, to love others, um, to proclaim the gospel. And you might say, well, I, I'm not a, an evangelist. I'm not a preacher. Yeah, but you can still proclaim the gospel, like I said, even in the midst of suffering, just by how you respond to it. And then add sound words to it as well. Um, we're given, we're entrusted with people. You ever think about that? That God brings people into our lives and he, he trusts us with those people. And sometimes those people might be really hard to love. But God says, I trust you to do that. I trust you to somehow communicate the gospel to them. I trust you to take care of them. I trust you to step into their lives. I trust you to encourage them. I trust you to do whatever it takes to help that person know how deeply they are loved by me. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've been trusted with that. So there's opportunities and there's people and then there's the mission of the kingdom. It is God's mission to make his name known. Uh, I encourage you to 2020, I think every year we say this, make this the year you really read your Bible. (laughs) Really, really, really read your Bible. There is no magical Bible reading plan out there, but try them all. Okay, because no matter how good they work, they at least have you reading the Bible. By the way, here's an opportunity coming up that Justin Gwynn is going to be leading us in. He'll be here next week, and I'm going to ask him to come up and share a little bit about what that looks like. But he's currently doing a plan where you read through the Bible one book at a time, but you read the book five times before you move on to the next book. It's kind of like snowballing debt. You start off with Philemon, you know, the one-chapter books, and then you, you just build through the bigger books until, you know, you get to the, the monsters. And you'll be amazed. It doesn't really take that long to read through Genesis. I mean, you could read through Genesis five times in a week. You really can. The average reader can get through the entire Bible in 70 hours. That makes it manageable knowing that, doesn't it? So anyway, what we're going to do here, what we're going to at least give, give a try at is we're going to be reading through 2 Timothy and, and not just read it once. We're going to read it over and over and over again. That's what a good preacher should do. Okay, read the text several times before he starts talking about it. So after church, starting uh, two weeks from now, 
as I said, uh, Justin will explain the details more clearly. But from what I understand, his plan is, his plan is this, is that after church, whoever wants to can meet in the fishbowl, because that usually clears out almost right away. And for the rest of you who want to chat and talk and visit and that sort of thing, that's fine. Uh, but the rest can, who want to can jump into the fishbowl, and they're just going to read through First uh, Timothy together. It's probably going to take, or Second Timothy, it's probably going to take about man, 10 minutes. And there's not going to be any preaching. Okay, There's not going to be any lesson. You might have the opportunity to go, holy cow, when I was reading that, I, I just saw something that I think God wants me to do and share that. But that's it. And then off you go. So I want to invite you to, to seize that opportunity and to do that. I've got some other plans to get us in the Word I'm going to talk about as, as, the, as the year goes on. But we're going to start with that. Uh, but it's good for us to read the Bible and to learn that God's mission is to get His name known everywhere in this world. And He's entrusted us with that mission. He's entrusted us to do that. Are we doing it? Or are we just sitting on that talent that we buried in the dirt and nothing's growing out of that? I, I get very convicted of that. Every time I read that parable about the things that Jesus, that the master entrusted to other people, how some went out and did something with it, and but that one guy, he says, well, I'm just going to bury it so I at least have that to give him when he comes back. And, and, Jesus, and Jesus, who's represented as the returning master, was not too happy with that servant. Uh, when he heard about that. So, uh, so yeah, discipleship is always moving towards reaching souls that do not know Jesus Christ. I think we have to understand that, that that's the point of discipleship, is it's always moving towards reaching people and helping them to understand this great love that God has for them. And I have to wrap up really quick here, because I just looked at the clock. So let me read the... the I, I didn't think I was going to include this this part. But here's the closing of this chapter anyway. Verse 15. You were aware that all who are in Asia has turned away from me. Paul's a lonely dude. And he says, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And and you well know all the service he rendered while in Ephesus. So Paul mentions some other students that he has here. And so I'm just going to wrap it up with this. Don't be a phagellus or a homogenes. Be an onesiphorus. I did, I did not say be ornery. Onesiphorus. Well, be ornery if you want to. Here's something really interesting. Phagellus' name means fugitive. That's somebody who runs away. Hermogenes' name means lucky one. Literally, born of mercury. Lucky one. Onesiphorus means bringer of profit. And it's just interesting how their names matched up their character. Okay? He was a bringer of profit in the sense that he was unashamed of Paul's situation. He looked at Paul as a teacher that he loved. And he was going to earnestly seek him out. He's going to earnestly pursue Paul, no matter what condition or circumstances Paul was in. And he was a guy who was engaged in kingdom service when he was with Timothy in the city of Ephesus. That was a tough place to serve. But whatever city he found himself in, Onesiphorus said, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve here. I'm going to do something. And that made him live up to his name. He was a bringer of profit to the kingdom of God. So here's what, I, here's what I'm going to go away with 
when it comes to discipleship. Some of us run away from growing in discipleship for whatever reason. Maybe we just didn't understand what it is. I think when we look at the relationship between Timothy and Paul uh, and Jesus and his disciples, that pattern that's laid down, I, I think that we're going to, I think you're not going to run away. I think it's something you want to run towards. Uh, some are fagellous. Don't be a fagellous. And some are homogenies. They just treat discipleship like some kind of dumb luck. Well, if it happens, it happens. Yeah, I'm just going to kind of go through life and maybe by osmosis something will rub off on me. Uh, that's not discipleship. Okay, It's intentional. It's not as formal as we think it is, but it's very intentional. Be an onociferous. Be a guy that says, I'm going to pursue my teacher. And our primary teacher is Jesus Christ. Pursue him. Now, that's where that's the core of discipleship, is that we're learning from him. I have nothing to give anybody unless I learn it from Jesus. Okay? Anything that, that you learn from me, it should have came from Jesus, not from me. And, and vice versa. That sort of thing. Really want to encourage you to do that. And I'm excited for the rest of Second Timothy as this gets fleshed out and we see how that happens. But for now, let's pray. And let's close our, our service. Lord, as we come before you, uh, I guess this is my prayer. May we see you as our teacher. May we see Jesus as, uh, as that sort of person <laughs> that would make sure to kiss us on the cheek before we left the classroom. Um, to be the sort of person that would hand us a basketball and say, hey, while we're doing life, let's talk about some stuff. To see him as somebody who doesn't just care for us when he's formally teaching us the uh, the truths of the kingdom, but he, he steps into our life no matter what we're dealing with, even death, uh, to remind us that he loves us and he cares for us. Lord, may we as, as, as your students, may we look to you as the pattern of faith and love. But may we also remember that you flesh that out in the people that you give to us. And and that's this church. Help us to see the body of Christ as a gift, Lord. A gift of discipleship. A a gift of teaching and a gift of learning. And, And we can be in both roles at any time. But Lord, especially help us to see that as your as your children of faith, that you've entrusted to each of us the mission of your kingdom. And that includes opportunities that that might take a little faith-based risk to jump into. And people, Lord, that no matter who they are, um, they need desperately to know how deeply loved they are by you. So, Lord, may we grow in that. May we deepen in that. May the year of 2020 for Common Ground be a year of discipleship, a year of teaching, a year of growing, and a year of learning about the person and the work of Jesus Christ carried out to the furthest corner. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.